just want to try to preach the word and something has to happen here. This is not liturgy. It's not formality. I don't have a ceremony to give you. It's the unction of the Holy Ghost that changes our lives. Amen. And I direct your attention to John chapter 2 now. And verse number 1. Amen. And for all those who are unable to be here today or you are watching live stream or later. I'm praying for you today and the Lord has spoken to me for someone who's not in the building. And perchance there may be a handful of people today that the word will quickly apply. Here is your scripture. And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. Jesus said, Woman, and please take that in in the form that it was written in those days, mother, <clears throat> this was a, a precious uh, salutation. I, I don't think you should reply that way to your spouse or your mother. But it's written in an older version. So, mom, what do you want me to do? Mine hour has not yet come. She doesn't readdress him, but turns to the servers, the servants. And she said to them, whatever he saith unto you, do it. There were six water pots of stone. These water pots um, were not for, for cleansing your hand. It was... After your hands were washed, then that water was poured on your hands as a ceremonial purification. In verse 7, Jesus said, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. Because they had already cleansed themselves ceremonial. They went through the ceremony. But they didn't have enough left over of tradition to get to the miracle. I don't even have time to go down that road. When you use up all your tradition, you've got no substance for the miracle. Because you think this is how it's going to be. All right. Well, (laughs) And Jesus said, draw out now. Give to the governor of the feast. And they drew out of now those, those full pots. When the ruler tasted the water that was made wine, he didn't know where it came from. But the servants which drew the water, they knew. The governor calls the bridegroom and he says, every man at the beginning, they they give the good wine. And when men have ruined their taste buds, and then they bring out the things that are not that good. But you kept the best, the good, until now. This... Beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cain of Galilee manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him and I preach today poured out. Amen. In the name of Jesus I pray for people, for myself, for the church, for those watching. I pray let the Holy Ghost do the work right now in the name of Jesus. I know you are here, Lord, and I know you're speaking, and I need your help. Speak through me your eternal, infallible word. 
so that all of us can be saved and delivered in the name which is above every other name. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And all the people said, Amen. Come on, and all the people said, Amen. And all the people shout praise to God. And all the people shout hallelujah to God. Thank you. May be seated. I suppose the urge to reiterate John chapter 2 at every wedding ceremony has afflicted uh, countless preachers. I am resistant to that need. I do find these verses more valuable to the church than what could be presented in a wedding. They stand as a call to the believer. Even if you struggle in your belief, the moment in, in Cana, that wedding, has an intriguing proposition for all of us today. We're not certain at the timing of this gathering the bride and the guest are unknown in the scripture. Though these communities, which were small and lived around the sea, were no doubt a tight-knit group. Jesus and his mother, Mary, has come to the wedding. It appears that some of the family members are there also. But the timing is not right. Jesus said as much. It's not my time, he said. But the need is present. And from the need comes the request from Mary. It's a simple statement. They have no wine. He knows what she's asking for. She didn't say all that could be said. She just said, Jesus, they have no wine. But when the need is present and obedience is followed and Jesus is there, something happens in the middle of that. Jesus will relent at the request of his mother. Just the two of them, they know what no one else there knows. They know who he is and she knows in part who he is. And even though Jesus tells her that his hour has not yet come, that his miracle working power is not ready to be showcased, or perhaps better said, that his deity is not ready to be revealed, even though he would have kept the door closed for one more moment of time, at her request, and because of the need, at the call to do whatever he says, he does something that no one else can do. She said, whatever he says, do it. And somebody ought to say that with me today. Whatever he's, look at your neighbor and say this. Whatever he says, no, you're not with me now. Whatever he says, one more time, whatever he says, do it. The presence of Jesus and the need and obedience. Let me do it again. He's here. There's a need. Obey. That is the combination of the impossible becoming possible. And if you leave any one of those elements out, you're going to find frustration and disappointment. If he is not here, then we're all in trouble. Then we're just having religion and we're just having a church service. And if there is no need, then there's no, then there's no request. And we're just fooling ourselves. I submit there's a lot of need in this building. In fact, I think that everyone who says they don't have a need actually has a need. And if no one obeys, 
there can be no movement of the Spirit. Something needs to happen. Something must happen because we need Him. And we have to offer the need and the problem, and then we have to obey whatever He says to do, you've got to obey. Even still, I submit that John chapter 2 does not add up. It doesn't add up. Because I know that Jesus is God come in the flesh. According to 2 Corinthians 5.19, all power is in his hands. To wit, God was in in Christ and Matthew 28.18. And yet when the time came for Jesus to turn water into wine, he employed the servers to do the work. He instructed the men and women to fill the jars with water. And then from those same jars, they were to pour out the revealed wine. The jars were empty. The servers or the servants took some other container, I don't know from where, and they filled those empty jars with water, and they poured water from one jug to another, and then from the pots that remained, they drew out the wine. And when they concluded filling those pots full of water to the brim, the Bible says, Jesus told them to serve from the now full pots of wine. And here is the one line. No one knew where it came from, but the servants which drew them out, they knew. They knew. Nobody else knew, but the people who were obedient, they knew how it came about. And the people who listened to Jesus, they knew what was happening. The servers who serve always know. Oh, I'm talking to you right now. I'm preaching to you right now. There is no issue in the scripture except that Jesus turned water into wine, but not without the obedience of the servants. The question is this, why pour water from one jar to another? Why all the pouring of water and then the drawing out of the same? And then discovering that it's wine. If Jesus had the power to create a new substance, an aged wine, something better than anyone had ever tasted, something that took on the purity of the vine, why all the pouring? Jesus did not need the help of the servants to perform the miracle. He had the power to make wine appear in those empty jars and pots without the pouring of one thing to another. He did not need the water. He could have easily done it all by himself because he is the I am that I am. And he stood before the Pharisees and he said, before Abraham was, I am that I am. He didn't need water to turn into wine. And he certainly didn't need the servants to pour water into another, another pot. He could have simply bypassed the efforts of all the people, all the men and women who were there to serve. But an axiom of truth was being fortified. Jesus did not do what they could do until after they had done everything they could do. He did what they could not do until they had done everything they could do. Ah. Skip ahead a few pages in your Bible. You'll find the same Jesus in the house of his friends, Mary and Martha. They are his close friends. I've been and I've seen the remnants of the city, the little town, Bethany, those black stone walled houses lining the top of that minimal hill. Lazarus was his very close friend. He lived there. He loved this family, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Jesus ate with them. Who knows how many times he stayed with them. If you walked out of those little houses where they, where they lived, there's a small running brook at the bottom of a steep descent. Jesus was there probably more times than the Bible declares. He is familiar with them. But when Lazarus becomes sick of a severe illness unto death and the news comes to Jesus, the Lord does not rush to see him. He does not come to their aid. In fact, the Bible says that Jesus stayed away for four days and he did not go to see or pray for Lazarus. Bethany was not a four-day journey. In fact, Bethany was less than two miles away, a two-mile walk away from Jerusalem. But Jesus did not visit Lazarus in his dying, ill, and sick state. Instead, Jesus waited. And then after Lazarus had, was declared dead, Jesus said, and I quote, Lazarus is dead And I'm glad. Have you read your Bible lately? 
he will, he's going to mess up your theology. All the junk that America thinks Jesus is, he is messing us up. All you have to do is start reading the book. You'll find out that, that there's, a, there's a whole group of people that believe in a God that does not exist. I can't wait to start pounding. Mm -hmm. I'm glad I wasn't there. I'm going to show you something when I get there. He has a plan. He has a revelation. He's about to reveal himself. Because up until that time, they know him as the healer. Even Martha said, Lord, had you been here, my brother would not have died. Meaning, I know you can heal. We know that you can remove sickness and disease. The proof is the witness all over the countryside. You are the healer, but you come too late. You have come when your healing power is now useless because he's already dead. And Jesus looks at her and he says, your brother is going to rise again. He's telling her about what is going to happen at that very moment. But Martha is temporal. She's pragmatic. She's thinking like most people who attend church think. Practical, reasonable, sensible, rational. And she replies, oh yes, Lord. I already know that he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. She thinks that Jesus is just a healer, but the need is about to be revealed as the resurrection and the life steps forward. And in those moments, the Lord gathers himself again. I'll read it to you. Jesus, therefore, again, groaning himself, he comes to the grave. It was a cave and a stone lay upon it. He commands them to roll away the stone. And again, it's like a repetitive theme. Jesus is about to call life into a dead man. He says, remember. Move the stone, but Martha intervenes and she says, Oh, by this time he smells. He's been dead four days. Don't take the stone away. Martha is on the verge of stopping the miracle. It's her pragmatic, obvious observations about life and death and time. And she's pointing out the limitations of her own perception about who God is. The Lord, ladies and gentlemen, has no boundary. Except through our disobedience and our unbelief. His boundary is set by your unbelief and your disobedience. I know somebody's helping me. But when Jesus is present and there is a need and somebody obeys, anything can happen. The Lord is in this room. I know there is a need. But if there is no obedience, we're going to walk out the same way we came. There's no reason for you to walk out the same way you walked in here. There's no reason for you to carry all that junk outside this room. The Lord is in this house. There is a miracle in this house. There is power in this house. He's going to call Lazarus from the grave, but before he calls the dead back to life, he tells them to roll away the stone. And again, if Jesus can raise the dead, why does he ask people to remove the stone? And if Lazarus comes out alive, why does Jesus have to tell them to lose him and let him go? If this incarnate God has the power over death... Can he also not roll the stone away by himself? Can he also not unloose the bonds at the same time of a wrapped up dead man, mummified man? He could have bypassed the work of their hands and did it all. But the underpinning of that axiom is being made. Jesus will do what we cannot do when we do what we can. So I submit to you, pour it out. Pour out. Pour it out. I feel to speak to someone here and on the outside looking in. The Lord is gripping me. Your job is to plant and to water. God gives the increase, but you become discouraged because you thought the increase or the soul or the result was in your hands. It's never been in your hands. You're just, you just have to obey God. Plant, water, plant, water. God gives the increase. God will give the increase. He will do what you cannot do when you do everything you can that's in the power of your own hands. I don't know who I'm talking to, but the Holy Spirit has spoke to me.
Keep planting and keep watering. God's going to do what you can't do. Keep planting and keep watering. He is the Savior. He is the way maker, and you are not. He is the healer, and you are not. He is, he is the great God. You keep planting, and you keep watering. Our job is the path of obedience. We will anoint with oil, and we will pray the prayer of faith over the sick, and then God is going to do what no one else can do. My job is not to heal you. I do not have the power to heal you. But I have the power of obedience in my hand. And when I put my hand on your head and pray in the name of Jesus, he is going to give deliverance and healing. I do not know why. All I can tell you this. If you will be obedient to God, he will do something through you that you cannot do by yourself. So pour it out. Pour it out. Pour it out. Somebody just wave your hand to me right now. Come on, just wave your hand to the Lord right now. Come on, just wave your hand right now in Jesus' name. Right now in the name of Jesus, I pray. In the name of Jesus, I pray. I walked in here last night, late at night. I walked into the sanctuary, and out of my mouth, I said, We got to break in this sanctuary. We got to break it in. And then, then I, I don't know if it was the Lord, just my own thinking. I realized that's wrong. I got to break in. It's like putting on a new suit, a new pair of pants, a new whatever you got. And it might be a little tight at first, but if you'll just work it a little bit, if you'll work it out a little bit. I know your seats are comfortable, but, man, sometimes you just got to work it out a little bit wherever you are. You got to say, I got to do something. Listen, I'm not just trying to get you to jump and run around and do all this stuff. And, and we want to do that. We want to worship God. It's a good thing. It's, it's in order. In fact, it's in order. Praise is, the Bible says, praise is comely for the upright. That means when you're praising, you look good. You never look better than when you're praising God. I don't care what you got on. You look better when you're praising God. You probably could pay half of what you, what you paid for for your clothes. If you'll just start praising God, you'll look better. You can't make up. Well, no. You can't make up with a nice outfit for the lack of praise in your mouth. Unless, of course, you came so other people can see you. Now, the Lord wants to do something in this house that heretofore has not been done in your life. You've got to present a need. He's here, and now you've got to do whatever is required of you. I'll give you the word. Here's a man. His name is Naaman. He has leprosy. He is a Syrian captain. He's well known throughout his whole country. Second Kings chapter 5 speaks of him that he is dying without a cure. Through a series of conversations, the answer for his sickness and disease is going to come from a prophet and from the prophetic word. And herein lies the issue. Naaman goes to hear the prophet, but he wants the miracle on his terms. He wants deliverance the way he thinks it should be done. And so he travels all the way from Syria to Dothan to see Elisha, but the prophet doesn't come out of the house to see him. There's no face-to-face conversation with the captain of the, of, of the Syrian army. Elisha and Naaman, according to the scripture, never speak face-to-face. Instead, Elisha sends a message through his servant telling the captain to dip in the river Jordan seven times. And it is no surprise that Naaman becomes angry. He's very upset because pride and logic are all thrown into the same cauldron of human thinking. It produces doubt and disobedience. Naaman will not do what he can do because he does not like the message. 
and he does not like how it's delivered. He doesn't like how it's delivered, and he doesn't like the message. And this is what I hear all the time from people. I just have to listen to my favorite preacher. Who cares about who's speaking the word? If it's the word for your life, get off of the image. This is not about charisma. This is not about your favorite preacher. This is the book. Whoever is preaching the word, you ought to respond to the word of God. You ought to respond with your whole heart. You ought to respond with your whole life. And the prophet, he sends him to the murky waters of this Jordan River, wherever he was. But we know that those waters had no healing power. The river of Jordan at time was very dirty, and Naaman said so himself. But he dips his body seven times. It makes no sense to him if the prophet had the power to heal. Why did he have to go to the muddy waters of Jordan to do it? And why go down seven times? If healing is available and cleansing is possible, even in reality, why the extra journey? Because you do what you can do. And God will do what you cannot do. And I cannot tell you why, but Jesus will not roll back the stone. He's not going to pour out the water. He has left it into your hands to move and to clap and to give and to serve. And he will if you will. I'm preaching today, the Lord's going to do it if you will. If you'll get up, if you'll do whatever he says to do, if you'll find the word, God is going to do it. I'm struggling. I want to know who can know the mind of God and who has been his counselor. His ways are past our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. He uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. I, do, I don't know why he has required all of these things. All I know is that if he is present and I have a need, my human logic must not impede my miracle. Your human logic and your pride, ladies and gentlemen, are impeding your miracle. So I just want to stand up and say something against pride. It's killing you. It's devouring your faith. God is in the building. Your miracle is in the building, but your pride is holding you back. Because for whatever reason, you're thinking about what other people are going to say. And you're logical. And you're going to say, well, if the Lord wants to heal me, he can heal me. Yes, he wants to heal you. How about, how about your passion? I feel pity on those who try to rationalize their way into a healing or deliverance. I'm sorry for you. You're never going to get there. So if you want to argue with God, go ahead. Martha tried it. He, she said, my brother is gone. No need. His body's already eaten up. He is stiff and he is in decay. And Jesus said, move the stone. Take the lid off. I'll do what you can't do if you'll just remove the stone. It's our humanity that's interrupting the revelation of who he is. I'd say today, just obey the Lord. Obey him. Just do what you know to do. And don't worry about whatever everybody else says. Don't worry about the crowd. Don't worry about your family. Don't worry about your next door neighbor. Just say, I'm going to serve God. I'm going to do what's in my hand. I'm going to do it. I was asked a question this last week. <clears throat> and the question was posed by an individual who's well learned and studied. They said, we know that churches are dying and people will not attend. And what makes you different? <laughs> it's the Holy Ghost first. It's the, first, it's the Holy Ghost. It's the Word. <laughs> it's the Bible. It's the Lord. It's obedience to the Word. We didn't come to hear a sermon. We came to experience the power of the Spirit. There has to be a change. God wants to change your life. Amen. Mm -hmm. Let me just say this. If you found that Jesus' name baptism is in the Scripture, just get baptized. It's in the Bible. If you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, you need to be baptized in Jesus' name. It's in the Bible. If when they baptized you, they just repeated the titles Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, 
That's not a name. Those are titles of the one name. Father is a title. Son is a title. The Holy Spirit is the active moving force of God. Who is God? But there's only one name. So if you find it in the Bible, get baptized in Jesus' name. Just do it. Whatever he asks of you, just do it. Listen. If the Bible says you can shout to obtain joy, just do it. You can tell me, you don't understand, I'm depressed. The way out of your depression is not to dig down deeper, is to lift up your head and say, my redemption, my hope is in the Lord. You just do it, whatever he asks you to do. If you look in the scripture, you'll find that the Lord called you out to be a holy people. Holy. Not like the world. Not bound by the customs of the world. And that he wants you to put away the things of the world. So if you found in the word, do whatever he asks. Here's a big one. This is in the scripture. If you are around people who disrupt your walk with God and bring you low and down, you need to get away from those people. Because your walk with God is more important than your fellowship. You can save your friendship and lose your soul. I'd rather save my soul than lose my friendship. And at some point, you're just going to say, listen, if you don't want this, don't talk, don't talk me out of it. I've got to serve the Lord. I found it in the scripture. Because the day you start to filter your obedience to God through the opinions and commentaries of people, that's the day you remain bound and afflicted and confused. You will remain stagnant and depressed and bound. But if you will pour out, he will make the change in your life. And the spirit is speaking today. I'm not preaching about water, ladies and gentlemen. I'm preaching about you. You are the water. you got to pour out yourself. He's able. But the pouring is in my hands. This is what the Lord has been speaking to me. Too much and for far too long. We've not been pouring ourselves out. We've given ourselves too many options. And our options are killing our fervency. Too many choices, too many things, too much stuff to take care of. And endorphins flood our brains. Believers are addicted to temporal pleasures. I'm not talking about the sinner who is lost and blind. I'm talking about the people of God. And this is what the Lord spoke to my heart. He said to me, and I wrote it down. He said to my, in my spirit, my people want me to roll back stones and unloose the afflicted and pour out water. But I've given that task into their hands. And if they will pour it out, I'll make the necessary changes I, I, want, I want to tell a grandfather in here if you'll, if you'll set yourself on fire for the Lord you'll change the course of your grandsons or your granddaughter you're watching me preach this sermon and I'm giving you the word from God if you'll change your path today right now today and you say I have a need I will be obedient, and the Lord is here. He'll change the substance. He'll make what was common an uncommon thing. Mm -hmm. All right. People are waiting for God to fix everything. They sit back and make demands of the Lord. I want you to know it's by Him, and it's through you. He's going to help you. We're not making demands of God. We're praying right now that the Lord does the work. But I've got to do something too. <laughs> oh, Jesus, help me now. I, I feel something in my, burning in my spirit because the moment I start talking like this, I feel a little resistance of the flesh. 
Your flesh is saying, not me. No, I'm not going to do that now. You won't find me making a fool of myself. Oh, no. Oh, no, I'm not going to do that. Maybe on tomorrow. Maybe the next day. Maybe on a better day. But I'm going to preach to you today. Now is the day. Today is the day. Today is the day to empty out everything. Roll back stones. Pour out yourself. Lose yourself. And something's going to change in your life. Something's going to change in your home. Something's going to change in your marriage. Something's going to change with your children and your grandchildren and everybody around you. This is, this is exactly what I've, I knew. I, I saw this. Maybe it was in the spirit, but I saw this because I'm done preaching. But early in the morning, the Lord spoke to me. And he brought me to this point, And it reminded me of Cain and the conversation he has with Cain. And he knows that Cain is going down the wrong road. He's commanded a blood sacrifice. But Cain, Cain doesn't have lambs and sheep and goats and oxen. He, 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 he grows grain. He, 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 he's, a, he's a farmer that has grain. And, and, and so he wants to give God what's convenient to him. Now Abel, his brother, has the sheep. What Cain ought to have done is he ought to have traded some grain for a, for a lamb. But, but he didn't want to do that because he didn't want to be obedient. Because even after the garden. They all knew that the only sacrifice was a blood sacrifice. And God comes to Cain. And he said, if you do well, won't you be accepted? Here's another version. If you do well through obedience, won't it satisfy me? Because disobedience is not just the absence of your miracle. It is the open door to your own bitter spirit. Because when you're not obedient and things are not happening, you become bitter and angry and wondering why other people are blessed. But you refuse to roll back stones and pour yourself out. And I'd be no good to you as a preacher or a pastor or a prophet to stand here and try to stroke your ego and say, it's going to be okay. It's not going to be okay. You've got to be obedient to God. But if you'll be obedient to God, he'll do something you cannot do. Here, here's what the Lord said. If you return your tithes and your offerings... And prove me, I will open up a window of heaven and I'll pour you out blessings you can't even contain. You don't have a container. You don't have a house. You don't have a pocketbook. You don't, you don't have a storage area. It may not be money. It may be something much better than money. It may be something that lasts a lot longer than the temporal things. I'll pour you out a blessing. He didn't tell you it was going to be an in-kind gift. He just said if you'll return your tithing and your offerings, I'll pour you out a blessing you cannot contain. But when you are not obedient to God, what happens to you is that you can become angry and you want why are things not going my way why are things not happening like I want them to happen I'll tell you why because obedience is the way to get God's approval and his attention I cannot understand everything all I know is I'm going to be obedient I don't know what God's doing in my life but I know I'm going to be obedient I don't know the path that I take and I don't know what rolling a stone is going to do I don't know what pouring water out from a judge is going to is going to make in my life but I know I'm going to pour out the water and I'm going to roll back the stone and I'm going to be obedient to God and God is going to do what only God can do I don't know if you're going to understand this but I'm asking you to stop being an American Christian and start being a disciple. Because American Christianity is coming with a lot of, it's a, it's a lot of pretense. You've got to get off of the American Christianity. You've got to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. 
is a distortion. Everyone calls themselves a believer, but no one wants to obey. Everybody wants a little bit of Jesus, and everybody wants to go to heaven, but they don't want to obey. I want to submit today, you got to obey the Lord. And when you obey the Lord, it may not make any sense to you. In fact, I submit, it's not going to make any sense to you. It's not going to compute in your brain. You're not going to know. But if you do it, God's going to do something impossible. You do not know why. You don't have to know why. He just said, take that water pot. It's empty. You you, you exhausted your tradition. Now fill it up with water and then draw out of that water. I'm going to give you wine that you never tasted of. I'm going to give you a blessing and a miracle you've never seen before. I'm going to give you the Holy Ghost. I'm going to give you power. I'm going to give you authority. I want to preach a little bit today. We're going to have a Holy Ghost revival because we're going to be obedient to God. Okay, I can't stand on those chairs no more. Hey, do we have one of those fixed chairs in here? Somebody go get me a fixed chair. You got one? You got a fi- Get me one of those fixed chairs. Short guys have got to stand up on something. Get Put it right out here. Because I'm tired of preaching up behind that plastic pulpit. Put it right up. Put it right here. Put that thing right. We got That feels good. That's where I want to preach. I got to get out of it. I got to have a revival. I got to have Holy Ghost. going to have the Holy Ghost. I'm going to have Jesus. Hey. Elder, hear me. I'm tired of watching people walk in struggling in pain. The doctor's reports are always bad. The medicine's not taking care of it. And I'm standing up saying Jesus is a healer. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? There's got to be a miracle. There's got to be deliverance. I'm weary. Listen, I'm weary with people who are coming in addicted to all kinds of stuff. And people don't know, but you're addicted. But I want to tell you, God is here to set you free. I'll tell you what we need. We need to lose ourselves a little bit. Stop acting like we got it all together. You're never going to figure out God. Who, who are you to try to figure out the Lord? Tell me who are the smart people in here, all the wise people in here. You don't give God counsel. In fact, the Bible says he obeys the counsel of his own will. He counsels himself. Go look in your Bible. He follows the counsel of his own will. He's got all power. You have no, you've no idea how much power God has. I'll tell you what you got to do. You got to have authority through obedience. This is the best pulpit I've ever had. What's your name? Tell me your name. Naaman. (laughs) Naaman. That's Brother Hammond's brother, Naaman. I'll never forget where you are. You're the brightest guy in the room. Stand up. Stand up, Naaman. Been coming to church. Come on, Brother Naaman. Been coming to church. I'm Elijah, and you're the guy that needs help. Come on, say that. Is that right, sister kids? He needs help. Your wife said it. Don't look at her. You know she needs help, too. And we ain't doing marriage counseling right now. That's for tomorrow. I'll tell you what we need. We need a Holy Ghost revival. You got to stop walking in with leprosy. You can be delivered in Jesus' name. I don't want to preach a little sermon to you. I want to see some evidence. I don't want to come here with words of wisdom. I came here with a demonstration of the power of the Holy Ghost. And through your obedience, you will be delivered. It's my new way. Just give me this chair. That's how I'm going to preach every Sunday until we have a Holy Ghost revival. I'm tired of all the... Listen, get off of your heritage. 
Your heritage is not going to save you. You stop telling me about your grandpa and your papa and mama and all the. Tell, don't tell me about how many people in your family been saved and how long. You got to be saved yourself. My father was a Methodist boy leading the song service at the Methodist church. And my mama was a Catholic girl going to mass every Saturday and Sunday. And they fought to get into the Pentecostal faith. I got people today fighting to get out. But I didn't go to the Methodist church. And I didn't go to the Catholic church except for funerals and weddings. Because that's where all the pretty girls were. And mom said I couldn't date them because I was probably related. We are not from Kentucky. Where's my chair? Do not. Shout out, Whitney. Long time no see, man. We're going to have a Holy Ghost revival. The Lord did something in your life, filled you with the Holy Ghost, baptized in Jesus' name, and it ain't possible. David Smith came here, preached, and he started to pray for people. And he prayed for my father. And from that day, my father was collapsing. He hasn't fallen down since. That's right. That's the word. That's the word. He was falling down. You just leave him there, Mom. But thank God the Lord healed him. Uh-huh. And Heather didn't say anything. She had a little blood disease. I shouldn't say little. And she also had some neck back problems. And David Smith, he's coming on the 10th of December. Just, I called him. I said, cancel whatever you got. Please cancel. He begged the other preacher. We got to send that other preacher a love offering. He's coming. And we prayed for you. And we prayed for the first time. And this is what he does. Do you feel better? And she was honest. No, no, sir, I don't. And, and now he's, he's going to pray again. Everybody feels really uncomfortable. It must not be God. Because you didn't read your Bible, and you didn't know that one time a blind man came to Jesus. He put, he put his hands on me. He said, can you see? And the man said, no, I just, it's kind of foggy. I see men as trees walking. You don't know the difference between a healing and a miracle. Healing can be progressive. That's why if you've been prayed for once last week, you come back down. We're going to pray for you again until the day gets, and you leave here completely delivered and completely satisfied. You're going to say to me, well, if God wants to heal me, can he heal me right where I'm at? Yes, he can. But I feel that to tell you, the Lord wants you to pour out and get up and get to that altar. Wait. Heather said, pray for my neck and my back. Do you feel better? She said, not really. He said, let's pray again. And when he said, let's pray again, half of you checked out. Are you feeling better after the second prayer? She, she said, well, you know, kind of trying to be nice to the preacher, you know. He said, we'll pray again, third time. We lost about 90%. People said, well, just, I ain't going up for prayer. Man, if that can't, can't touch me the first time, I'm not coming back again. That's why you won't let me pray for you again. Because you had in your mind the way you were going to be healed, how were you going to be healed. You didn't like my delivery and you didn't like my message. But you will like the result if you'll just get up off of your pride and say, I'm not going to live like that anymore. I'm going to get, I'm going to go to the Lord. And pour out and pour out. Oh, I'm feeling good now. I should have started right here. I should have started right here. And the third time that he prayed, maybe just a little something. And he said, okay, we're going to pray for, for some other folks. But then on that next week, she goes to the doctor. And, you know, there's still some pain in her back. But after they do the blood work, it was right then. Went to the doctor. The third time. But the blood, 
disease was gone and she could bend over. You... Okay, I'm getting the story straight. Because the third time, say it for the people. Because they, you know, some people Google me and see if I'm telling the truth. And then after I get done preaching about examples, they come up with their, their phones and their smartphones and their iPads and say, look, Pastor, look, you were, look, I found it. Yes, what do you think I'm doing? Lying to you here. So I just want you to know. So the third time, I felt better in my neck and my back. But. I went to the doctor the next week for a follow-up, and I had to have some blood work done. I had a clotting disorder. When they got the blood work back, there was no signs of having that disorder. I'm looking for something happen. He's greater than just a healer. He is the resurrection and the life. There's nothing in him he cannot do. If you'll do what you can do, he's going to do what only he can do. Everyone who wants a healing for their body, physical healing for your body. I want you to step forward into this altar. Listen, I'm inviting you. Just come as close as you can possibly come. I I just felt something hit me. And it just makes absolutely no sense. And that's why I know I'm in the spirit. I want you to bend your knees seven times. One. Jesus' name. One. I know it's kind of crazy. But you're no different than naming, dipping down. Just bend your knees seven times. Count it. Count it out. Count it out. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Heal my body. Heal my body. Oh, that's so, that's so nuts. That's so illogical. Whoever does that stuff. Whoever does that stuff. Look up at Pastor real quick. Look up at Pastor real quick. Second Kings 9, 2. 2 Kings chapter 2. The land was polluted and the waters were poisoned. And the drought and the issues of the land. And Elisha said, Bring me a new bowl. I'm going to put a little salt in it. Now what? does that do for the land? Now, in your brain, you're going to think that makes no sense. And you're dipping down seven times makes no sense. But the Lord didn't use your logic, and he doesn't use your analytical mind and your rationale. And so if you don't want it, that's okay. That's up to you. But if the need is present and the Lord is here, I don't know what he wants you to do, but I'm going to pray the prayer of healing over your body in Jesus' name. If you're not down in front, I want you to put your hands forward and pray in faith over everybody. In the name of Jesus, I pray right now. In the name of Jesus, I pray. I pray for complete healing. I pray for a miracle, Lord. I pray for a resurrection, Lord. I pray you change the substance of something here today. Okay. Oh. Put your hand on yourself. Put your hand on your chest. And pray right now in Jesus' name. Put your hand on your head. Pray in Jesus' name, Lord, I know that you can touch me. I know that you can heal me. I know that you can deliver me, Lord. I've got a need today.